Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We welcome you to this evening's Good Friday service here at Christ our King. Special welcome to our guests, and we are blessed to be together on this Friday that we do indeed call good. If you've been able to be with us at all this Lenten season, our series has been called Jesus, Peter, and me. And we've been traveling with both Jesus and Peter, and more often than not, we've seen Peter reflected uh, ourselves, we see ourselves in Peter, and we arrive at the somber moment of Good Friday. And so often Peter is, has been the one who, who did not understand Jesus, who, who didn't understand what, what Jesus was doing or what Jesus was saying time and time again. But today is a little different. Today, we heard from Peter in our epistle reading from Acts chapter 2, and we hear from Peter after the events of Good Friday, in fact, 50 days after on Pentecost. And, and this time, though, it's, it's Peter who is the one helping us and, and helping his fellow countrymen understand what's happened with Jesus. So the question tonight is, what's, what is it that happened on that Good Friday? Well, from the vantage point of Pentecost, the events of Good Friday are like a crime scene, you might say. And, and Peter, Peter is standing in a courtroom leading his fellow Jews as well as us to understand the crime, to understand those who are accused, to understand all those who are involved. The religious leaders were involved. They were the ones who had been plotting against Jesus for basically his entire ministry. They were the ones who had forced a rush trial. They were the ones who had, who had pushed Pilate to take some sort of action with Jesus. And that brings us to Pilate. Of course, Pontius Pilate was involved. He seems to be more interested in keeping the crowds from fomenting into some sort of rebellion than, than actually executing any kind of justice. So he decides to wash his hands of Jesus. He, he decides to allow Jesus to be crucified, even though he had found Jesus to have done no wrong. And the crowds were involved. It was the crowds who yelled for Barabbas' release instead of Jesus. It was the crowds that allowed themselves to be stirred up by the religious leaders and, and threatened Pontius Pilate. It was the crowds who passed by heedlessly and and even mockingly, as Jesus hung on the cross. The crowds, of course, enjoyed Jesus when he was giving them bread and, and healing their sick. But they had no use for a Jesus who appeared so weak, who was dying a criminal's death on a cross. So after all this, who is actually to blame for this crime? They all certainly had a part to play. And on Pentecost, then, Peter's like the prosecuting attorney in a courtroom, and he's laying out all the evidence. But he addresses his hearers on that Pentecost, and he, he speaks to them very directly, and he says, This Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so who is it that Peter is talking to there? The crowds that were gathered, yes, but not only the crowds. You see, the, the physical murder weapons in this crime scene were the scourging and the, the nails and the cross. But the crowds didn't wield those, at least not directly. 
And there may have even been some people present there at Pentecost who who weren't present at the crucifixion. And yet Peter says that they were the ones who crucified Jesus. So how is that possible? Well, it's possible because there was an even greater weapon that stood behind all of these instruments of death. And that is the instrument of sin. The weapon of sin. The sin of all mankind. It was sin that put Jesus on the cross. And that indicts not just the Romans and not just the religious leaders and not just the crowds, but all people, past and present, including the people in Jerusalem there on Pentecost, including the disciples, including Peter, including you, and including me. What a terrible weapon we wield with our sin. The weapon that is not only responsible for causing Jesus' death, but also the weapon that we so frequently turn against others as well as against ourselves. It's all right there in our sinful human hearts. Malice, greed, envy, hatred, lying, gossip, slander, pride, self-righteousness. All these things that lead us to harm the lives of those around us, as well as harm ourselves in the process. Every time we wield the weapon of sin, it causes harm. Just think about the harm that comes upon marriages or families with careless words or loveless thoughts, selfish deeds or self-centered attention. Think about the harm that happens in workplaces with greed and and envy and jealousy and dishonesty or making a god of material things. Think about the harm that even comes upon churches with grudges or hard feelings, neglecting word and sacrament, neglecting the body of Christ, a lack of participation and attitude saying, well, I'm not available to be there for others. In all these ways and much more, we are the ones who wield the weapon of sin. And we cause the harm. But we aren't only doing harm to others. Ultimately, we are harming ourselves. Ezekiel says the soul who sins shall die. Romans says the wages of sin is death. Sin is not an insignificant problem or a minor nuisance. No, it is a thorough and pervasive and deadly evil in our lives. It is a weapon of great destruction. It causes death. It causes our death. Physical, spiritual, and eternal death. And so on that day when Peter was proclaiming to his countrymen what their sin actually did, he is telling us as well. Our sin is the reason that Jesus was nailed to the cross. Our sin caused the greatest harm in the history of the world. We killed the author of life and thereby put our own lives in grave danger. Has there ever been a greater crime than when we as human beings killed the Son of God? And the evidence shows that we are the ones who wield the weapon of sin. The 
people on Pentecost reacted when Peter said this. Acts says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Do you hear the conviction in their voice? The alarm, even the panic in their words? There was no question in their mind what the verdict would be. They knew they were guilty. And as we hear those words of of desperation, what shall we do? We hear it echo in our own hearts and in our own lives as well, especially on this day, on Good Friday. But there is a reason why we call this Friday good. And the reason is found in Peter's response to that question. He says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can't you imagine the sense of relief that they felt? The immense weight that would have been lifted off of them by the incredibly good news that Peter had to share that day? That sin, that terrible lethal weapon had been neutralized by the death of Jesus Christ. That through Jesus there is in fact hope for sinners like us. That there is a way out of sin and death. Because with Jesus now there is forgiveness of sins and life. What we see on Good Friday is a horrible crime scene. It is sin played out to the extreme in front of us. It is evil and injustice and pain and suffering and death. The death of the Son of God. But Peter tells the inhabitants of Jerusalem and he tells us today that God was and always is in control. He is in control of everything. Yes, sin carried out its terrible mission that day with Jesus, but that even the death of Jesus served God's greater purposes. Peter says everything happened according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge. So we ask, what was God's plan with Jesus? Well, his plan was to place our sin and guilt upon his son. Peter writes elsewhere that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. God's plan was to allow Jesus to suffer the death that our sin causes, not only a physical death, but also a spiritual death, the death of hell. His plan was to crown Jesus with glory, but glory that only comes by death. Hebrews says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. God's plan was to pour out his wrath on Jesus. As we heard Isaiah say this evening, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But God's plan was to do all this so that we could be made righteous. Romans says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
The theological word that we use for this is justification. We are justified. We are made to be righteous in God's sight. And what that means is that since God made Jesus to be sin for us, God now looks upon us and when he sees us, he sees no sin. Not because God is fooled somehow or that God is is overlooking our sin. No, rather the payment that sin requires, the verdict that in the holy court of law must be rendered, that verdict, that sin, that name was placed upon Jesus. And Jesus took upon himself all of our sin and all of our death and all of our hell And he offered his own perfect life in return. And so that we can be sure that God the Father accepted this sacrifice that Jesus offered. As Peter tells us, God in fact raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Good Friday is all about death. Our death inflicted by our own sin as well as Jesus' death on our behalf and in our place. And so today we look to the cross and we hear God's verdict. But we don't hear the guilty verdict that we deserve. No, we hear the not guilty verdict that Jesus earned for us. Hear this verdict from Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or hear the verdict from the Apostle Paul. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Or hear the verdict from the Apostle John. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, this is God's good work through that bloody, sin-scarred cross that we may be declared not guilty. And that God shares his wonderful grace and eternal life with us in response. And so Peter told them that day, repent, repent of your sins and be baptized. You have godly repentance, which is godly sorrow for your sin. And you also have faith given to you by God to trust in Jesus to forgive you. And you know that in your baptism, he already has. You have been born again as a child of God. You have been reconciled to your heavenly father. You have been forgiven by him. You have been given new life with God. And he has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit who is at work within you today. He is the one who has made you alive from the day of your baptism until today. And he will keep working in you as a person who is no longer dead, but rather dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ. Today, Good Friday, is all about death. 
It's about our Lord's death, yes, but more than that, it's also about why he died. Jesus died for all. Jesus died for you. It is finished, he said. And indeed, it is. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.